Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The 2020 draft is upon us. It might not quite be live sport, but thankfully we've got something to help keep us entertained. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We've heard rumours of trades, cuts, picks and dodgy Wi-Fi connections. We'll be pressing the unmute button for the next hour or so to chat over all the headlines. We've covered the fantasy football side of things. We've looked for some of the deeper value on this year's board. Now it's time to get a little bit sensationalist about what might unfold. So to do this, we're joined by two of the best in the business at providing transfer deadline day coverage. Well, I guess transfer day deadline is our answer to the draft. Anyway, please welcome NFL Scotland regulars Charles Patterson and Jamie Borthwick. Absolutely convinced you were going to say two of the best at sensationalist nonsense there, but <laughs> thank you. I managed to, to manage to veer away from that. <laughs> we, we, we are experts in talking nonsense, so this is a perfect forum to do so. Wonderful. Absolutely. Gents, if we have a look at it, everybody knows that Joe Burrow is going number one. However, I want you to give me a scenario where something different happens. Can you see anything different happening? Uh, no, not at the moment. But um, I think if he didn't, then there'd be riots in Cincinnati. So is he going to? Are they going? Would they go for Tua or another quarterback? I don't think they would. So I think the only way that they don't take Burrow would be to go for Chase Young. But surely that would be the only other logical way for them to go. Right. Yeah, and then this, they'll sit, they'll give Andy Dalton another go. That would be a great plan. That would be a classic Bengals move, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, it certainly would, but you would have to think they would they would they would come out the number one pick. I don't think they could use the number one pick and not take Joe Burrow. The only alternative is to take to Tago Viola, which is a wonderful name. They ah. keep telling me he is the best player at quarterback in the draft, bar none. It's the injury, it's the problem. Well, if he wasn't injured, he'd be going number one. Well the the, the biggest story around this whole draft I think is what happens to Tua um, is he going to slide is someone going to trade up for him I've seen so many mock drafts suggesting he's going to fall to Miami at five or possibly San Diego uh, or oh, San Diego oh that was two years ago he's really sliding if he's going LA to San Chargers. Diego <laughs> if he ends up in San Diego then God help the Chargers uh, the uh, I do wonder whether he might slide. It's interesting. You read a lot of um, copy in the States about uh, this week is smokescreen and mirrors all over the place. Oh, yes. And there's been quite a lot of suggestion this week. And I, I was listening to Bob McGinn, who's, uh, who writes for The Athletic um, and is very well respected across um, America in terms of his knowledge of the draft, suggesting that a lot of teams are taking fright at him because this is the freakiest draft there's ever been because we're all in mm-hmm. lockdown. And nobody knows just how fit this guy is. And if you're you, you, if you're banking on your franchise, why are you going to stake perhaps three or four years, and if you're a general manager, your job on a guy who you don't know how physically fit he is? So yeah, remember, I, with Tua, I it's not just his knee; it's it's both his ankles as well. We've both been operated on in the last two or three years, I think it is as well. The doctors haven't been able to get their hands on him because everyone's under lockdown, and that is that's probably going to make him slide. But Everything that everyone has said about him is, is still true. He still is potentially, you know, an absolute generational player. But is anyone going to stake 
like the unbelievable amount of draft capital on him if they haven't been able to get their own guys' hands on him and, and, and see just how fit or otherwise he is. I not nah, can't see it. See, I suggested on the podcast last night the only team that I think could get away with doing that are the Patriots. I think they're the only people that have got enough capital and enough, you know, they've won for so long. I think they're the only team that could actually get away with doing it. Whether they would do it or not is another matter altogether because I think they would have to go up ahead of the Dolphins. So I think you're looking, therefore, at trading with the Giants. Lots of talk today that the Redskins are getting offered bucketfuls uh, for the number two position, but that's likely to be for Chase Young at two and nobody else. I can't see anybody moving up to number two to take Tua. What we can guarantee is that there will be a franchise out there that will do something really stupid. (laughs) They will come piling in with however many draft picks they want for perhaps Detroit's number three pick or maybe Washington. Uh, You know, a franchise that's got a a franchise quarterback, if you want to put it that way. And they're going to lob the kitchen sink at it because they see someone as their guy of the future. It happens every year. You've got... You've had the Jet. The Jets traded up for Sam Darnold. Arizona traded up for Josh Rosen. That worked out brilliantly, didn't it? Baltimore, <laughs> they traded up for Lamar Jackson, and that one did work out well. And Denver uh, did it last year with Drew Locke. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it can, it's a total. It's a it's a it's a shooting match. You know, it's it's one of those whereby there is a franchise out there that will think, do you know what? We're going to be really clock clever, and then they outsmart themselves. So that I bet will happen in the top top five, top six picks is that some franchise is going to go, do you know what? Let's go for it and let's go get him. And Tua might be the one. He might be the player because he's the ultimate wild card in this, I think. So if you look back, guys, at last year's draft for a moment, I think the big shock for everybody was Daniel Jones coming off the board so early for the Giants. But people seem to have accepted that now. It was a decent pick in the end. It it was... (laughs) Yeah, no one saw it coming. No one saw it coming because it, it wasn't one of those ones where all the all the scouts and all the GMs had put their heads together and come to a consensus that this is the guy who was a top 10 pick. Um, but it, it does look like it's one that's, that's, that, 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 that could pay off, and it certainly doesn't look like it being one that's going to be like an, abs- an absolute nightmare. Can I just make it, a point that I actually picked Daniel Jones to go number six to the Giants in our little mini pick game, and I got a point for that just because none of you, none of the rest of you did. I only actually, one point. I got that one right, and I was because I read some ridiculously obscure New York sports article about two days before, who, which actually which got the information right. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to probably try and read that article again on Thursday and see what happens. <laughs> If we're going to talk quarterbacks, guys, I think Justin Herbert, who's slated either to go as early at five to the Dolphins, or if he doesn't get picked there, he'll go six to the Chargers. Anybody else think he's slightly overhyped? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I could see him go to the Dolphins if they decide to sit tight at five. I, I, I definitely could see that because he's got the size and he's got the arm. Um, and he's yeah, he's, he's got the, the winning records that teams are going to like as well but uh, yeah he's not the, he's not the sexy pick is he he's six foot six so that's yeah. kind of old school archetypal massive quarterback type he's not the the modern flashy kyler murray type which has become the the trend in the last couple of years so but I'll, I, that, that i think a lot of 
general managers and franchises look at that type of player and think that, that, that that's a potentially more reliable player. I, mean, it, I think it comes back to two again, because this is a guy who potentially is one of the greatest quarterbacks out there for the future, but he gets hit all the time. He gets injured all the time. And the NFL is a far tougher school in the college game. So if this is a, if you were Miami sitting at five and you had a choice between the two of them, where'd you go? And you've got, don't forget with Miami, they've got four more picks in the first two rounds. So they can afford to be flexible. I I mean, I've got Miami taking two simply because it's a gamble I think they can afford to take. I think they've got so many picks and they could use them to move back up. I mean, I don't see, although, I mean, it is always possible that Miami could do something crazy and take two quarterbacks. You know, we've seen former number one picks getting moved about the place early. You know, they could go with somebody like that and then later on in the draft take Jordan Love. So you've they've you already know. got two quarterbacks. They've yeah, got Rosen but, and Fitzpatrick. They can't yeah, have four but, quarterbacks. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they, they could dump Rosen. If they don't like what they've seen from Rosen, they can dump him. Simple. You know, if you want to start again, you go with Fitzpatrick as your main guy. You take Tua because you think he's going to work. And if Tua doesn't work, you could go with somebody like Jordan Love just as insurance. I mean, they've got the picks to do it. I doubt they will do it. But, you you know, you talk about what's what's possible to happen. I mean, they pick again at 18. They pick again at 26 in the first round. So anything's possible. That would be pretty wild. But considering just how deep and how good the... the, um draft classes at tackle you can get your franchise quarterback and the tackle to keep them upright with uh, Miami's picks that's that's quite a frightening prospect and a, and a receiver that can catch the balls so yes there's enough, and there's enough receivers out there that um, that could go you know you get three or four in the first round two or three in the second round so there's there's this huge depth in the receiver class the other interesting quarterback analysis sort of thought process for me is which teams out there who are doing well, who've got established, really experienced getting on a bit franchise quarterbacks are going to potentially look at this and think, do you know what, we might take our guy of the future. And there's been a lot of rumble about maybe Green Bay taking a quarterback in the first round. And I'm not sure I buy it. But what about New Orleans? What about selecting Drew Brees' heir? That might happen. That might happen, would it not? Well, it could do. I mean, if it's not Taysom Hill, and and who knows what he's going to do. I mean, I've got the Saints in my draft taking Jordan Love as a punt, as uh, a potential, because I think he's got the things you would look at. you got to remember, somebody's going to come down to 24, um, but he's from Utah State. He's a great passer. He's a natural thrower. I mean, his deep ball throwing is unbelievable. His problem tends to be his decision-making. Uh, but if he was around... At position twenty four, I wouldn't be unhappy for the Saints to take him. So there's lots. The Lions are sitting in a really interesting spot at third. They're definitely going to be listening to trade offers, but when you look at what they're going to have available to them, they could have a Kuda, they could have uh, Simmons. They're going to have, and they're going to have their pick of any of the tackles, and all the tackles look plugging and play make your team immediately better. That is like a fascinating pick. I mean, they could go so many ways with that one. See, I think they've got to get it right, Jamie, because I think this is the last year in the job for the coaching staff if they don't. Mm. 
I think Patricia's done. I think it's Patricia's done if he doesn't come through this year. And I think that puts extra pressure. So if they were offered something at three, perhaps say to come down to 15 and get another first round pick, say at 22, something like that, to get two really good players as opposed to one exceptional player might be the way they have to play it. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Detroit at number three. I don't think there's the same pressure on Washington at number two. I think Washington could come out of number two because Ron Rivera is going to get two or three years there anyway. The downside to that is I think Chase Young is an exceptional player and Washington have got a great reputation in terms of the talent they've got. They've not used it brilliantly on defence. He'd just be an amazing guy to add into that mix. We go back mm. to last year as well, and let's look at the draft from then. And obviously, Kyler Murray went number one overall because there was a quarterback need and in Arizona. Up in number two was the 49ers, who went and took Nick Bosa, who a lot of people were saying was the best of all the players in the draft. Now, actually, there's been a lot of people saying that Chase Young is the best players of them all in the draft if you take away the need at quarterback, which clearly the Bengals have a greater need there than they do anywhere else pencil Andy Dalton's career um, Chase Young is going to be an instant impact player and therefore the, the Redskins have that opportunity to take a great player but if somebody comes along and offers them the earth then they're in that great position where they can take that as well what they need to do is make sure that whatever they come away with they come away with something that is equal or better than Chase Young and if they don't do that, then it's immediately a fail and you go backwards. I was really pleased. You know, I was worried that the Niners last year may have taken an opportunity to step back. Instead, we went and got Nick Bosa. And what a player he turned out to be. He's absolutely sensational and a great player for hopefully in that team for a long time to come. Um, and then they went and get the, the best player available. Um, I it's, it's I a, guess, Cam, the, the, the question here is what is the earth? What do Washington take? And who would who would do it? Because if you're wanting to get Chase Young, you're a team that's maybe on the cusp of greatness mm. and just needs that one player, that one extra X factor to take you to the championship game or the Super Bowl. And I've I, I made a wee list of some teams that are maybe on the edge of greatness. And you look at the Chargers, who I think are a quarterback away from contending, and what they do at quarterback, if they indeed address that situation, is fascinating. Um, and then I think you've got Green Bay. I think you've got Cleveland and the Vikings. And the Vikings have got two picks because they yeah. traded away Stefan Diggs and they have ripped their defense to bits. And if you're the Vikings, you could look at that and think, right, we've got two first round picks. Let's go get Chase Young. And then what, what, let's, let's watch him go and smash Aaron Rodgers to bits. And then you're suddenly, you've got a good team there in, in Minnesota. Suddenly you've got a game changer and an X factor. So that's the kind of team that I think if you've got the capital, you go there. But what would Washington take? That's the big question. And well, would they take just the two picks, Charles? Would you take the two first round picks that they've got on offer? He'd want a second uh, as well, I think. Yeah, you, you, yeah, but I'm, I'm just looking <laughs> at that. And they've got an extra so, second round pick too, I think, after trading digs as well. So, so I'm just trying to look up where where you know, there. Yeah, so they're certainly at 25. As, yeah, the skins aren't in the second round as it stands, so they would definitely be looking for a second round. So, so if you were to trade 22, 25 for number two and get your first right or the sec first pick of the second round as well. Yeah. Um, that that might be tempting because it's a deep draft in certain in certain yeah. places. 
I, I do think that Minnesota, and looking at it, Minnesota are the only team with the collateral that can afford to give it up because they've got the foundations of a team. I just don't think that the Dolphins can afford to be trading up the way. What you might see is the Dolphins trading down the way uh, if the opportunity arises for them to either get more picks or to get an established player that they can bring in who's going to fit whatever scheme they decide they want to play. You know, you come right back to the conversation that happened at the very top and where does Tua go? I I actually think that the Dolphins can't afford even the risk of taking Tua because of the the injury designation that's sitting against them. I, I think that they'd go someone like Justin Herbert because they know more what they're going to get with them. Uh, and I don't think that with this draft collateral, they can afford a risk and to spend their highest pick on a player who is injured. I've seen drafts, you know, mock drafts where they're going Jordan Love themselves in a, in a, in a deeper uh, pick and not taking someone as early because you go through the, the teams in this first round and let's really pencil in on, pencil in, not pencil in, drill in on the ones that need a quarterback. The ones that need a quarterback are the Bengals, are the Dolphins. You could argue definitely the Chargers because Tyrod Taylor, we don't really believe that he's going to be the man. The Patriots... You could maybe say that the Buccaneers want to get their quarterback now that can sit in behind Brady and learn. So I wonder whether the Bucs go high on a quarterback. You could argue that the Saints start to think about who's up next after Drew Brees. Um, but beyond that, there's not really anybody that I can think that's absolutely desperate. Oh, uh, the Patriots. I didn't mention the Patriots. Well, but uh, the Patriots clearly did, need a quarterback. You, you did, Cameron. You did, you did. But how, I can't, I just don't see Tua going out the top 10. Because I think if he slips past the Dolphins and the Chargers, I think the Panthers would take him or the Jaguars would take him. Simply as that gamble. Yeah, you are getting a player with an unlimited ceiling. Yeah, he might be absolutely knackered. But I cannot see him coming past nine. But yeah, if, you, if you're the Panthers, do you take the risk with Teddy Bridgewater, who's been carrying an injury and has been injured through his career, and have two in there as well? So you're doubling down where potentially you end up with two injured quarterbacks. I'm not sure that I see them doing that. Jaguars, yes, because that's such a Jaguars thing to do, obviously, at that point. If he slides that far, it's the sort of thing that I would fully anticipate they would do. They've got Gardner Minshew. They've just got rid of Foles. Um, they go out and get Tua, and then you're in the situation where you play Gardner Minshew until Tua's fit and takes over, um, potentially. But after that, you know, you, you look beyond it, possibly the Raiders, but the Raiders have got much greater needs, and actually Derek Carr's are. Uh, a working quarterback who's moving to a new city and actually they probably want a little bit of consistency behind him. I I don't know, I think that Tua sits better because of that injury designation. I think he sits better going to a place where he doesn't need to start week one. And I think... Well, my, that's why I think Miami is the place for him to go because you've got Fitzpatrick there. So I, I kind of disagree with you there. And I agree with that with Paul that he will go early but I still think that there's a, there's a, there's a, a team out there who will go nuts and will try and mortgage the house to get a guy like him or they will have seen somebody maybe it's herbert who they think oh wow listen we, we've got to get this guy and they will trade up or maybe it's 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 young so there's always a team out there there's always a general manager out there who goes completely tonto and then <laughs> it might just not work for them and this year with all the added ramifications of it being done on the computers and the potential for the wi-fi to crash 
and the fact that we've not seen half of these players physically to see what they're like, it has all the makings of an absolutely epic disaster if you get it just slightly wrong. So is, is, is there anybody else here who thinks the Jets are still on dial-up AOL? <laughs> <laughs> we we talked on the, the podcast yesterday about Bud Light's campaign to boo the commish uh, and that you can record yourself booing at home and they'll send it or they'll they'll play it when every time the um, Roger Goodell's on the screen. But I want to know who's covering the Jets fans booing their own picks. Um, I think there's an opportunity <laughs> there for someone else to come in and steal the thunder on that one. Um, the, do you know what? The Jets are a team that are needing of talent um, as well in a number of places. It would be fascinating to see where they go. And I think that ultimately they just take the best available player. I think the only position that they don't need is... If they're sticking with Sam Darnold, they don't need a quarterback. And with Le'Veon Bell, they don't need a running back. But even with Jamal Adams and all the, the chat about him moving away, they pretty much need every single position. Um, well, they need I've a, got they a kind of marked down from 10 to 15. Browns, Jets, Raiders, Niners, Bucks, Broncos, all of them would love to get one of these big three wide receivers. And it could turn into an absolute feeding frenzy if... Say the Browns, it gets to the 10, and they pull the trigger of C.D. Lamb or Ruggs, uh, and then the rest of them, because the, the Jets would love a wide receiver. The Raiders would absolutely love a wide receiver. 49ers, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Bucks to give uh, Brady a, a big weapon, someone like a C.D. Lamb? Oh, oh yes, indeed. Right? There's probably three properly, I mean, probably top 10 um, talents there. Uh, if you put Jerry Judy in there as well, um, I, th- I think there's going to be an absolute rush on it as soon as the first one goes. And I think the first one will go, oh, either the Browns or the Jets, and then everyone will get absolutely frenzied and we, we will see movement right there. The so thing I, is, there's no I need agree. for that, though. I don't think there's any need for that this year because you, you, there's so many wide receivers that are capable of making a big impact if you read every single draft report and mock draft there's apparently a dozen wide receivers in the first three rounds that are going to make a huge impact on the league at some point so you do wonder whether or not teams will just wait and see what they get in some respects because it's such a deep class these guys are obviously elite but are they going to be Julio, Julio Jones elite are they going to be Calvin Johnson elite no one really knows that because these are young guys so I'm going to come in at this point and I'm going to give some context to this because I think the first round wide receiver history over the last couple of years is fascinating I'm going to run through this very quickly and then I'm going to leave you to digest it 2019 wide receivers taken in the first round Marquise Brown and Inkeel Harry now Marquise Brown looked as though he had some potential there Inkeel Harry we don't really know much about because he spent most of the season injured right fine too soon to tell those guys year before 2018 two wide receivers taken in the first round dj moore and calvin ridley okay decent that was their second year you have a sophomore stump fine let's give them a bit more time year before 2017 three wide receivers taken in the first round Corey davis mike williams john ross taken fifth seventh and ninth overall in that draft Mm, maybe a bit too early to say, but I'm going to say Corey Davis has been a complete disappointment. Mike Williams has been half decent. John Ross has been a bit of a bust. Go back to 2016. Four players taken in the first round. Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Doxon, Laquan Treadwell. We're doing really well here. 2015. 
fine, slightly better. We start with the Mari Cooper at four. Then we've got Kevin White, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Brashad Perriman, Philip Dorsett. We're not really... Nelson sad. Aguilar. Yep. And then we're getting into 2014, Goodness. taking fourth overall, Sammy Watkins. Behind him, fair enough. You've got Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, you know, who if it wasn't for concussions, probably a better player. Then Calvin Benjamin, who, you know, fine. Calvin Benjamin's been total disappointment. Year before that, Tavon Austin taking number eight overall. You've got DeAndre Hopkins in there. Fine. Corderell Patterson. I mean, I'll stop there, but I'd go on to 2012. Number one, fifth overall, Justin Blackman. Um, you know, Michael Floyd, Ooh. Kendall Wright, and AJ Jenkins. So, you know, that's going all the way back to 2012, and that's all the number one wide receivers. How many of those guys would you consider number one wide receivers now? I, I'm thinking about oh. four of them. Hopkins, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah, Hopkins, but point, Beckham, what, Evans... Point. And there was someone else in there. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Hopkins and Evans. And I wouldn't... Yeah, Beckham... Beckham flatters to deceive, unfortunately. I would say Hopkins and Evans, and that's it. So the point you made, Cameron, one of the drafts went five, seven, and nine. I think that's what you're looking at here. Whoever goes first will spark the panic behind them. I think Charles said that. So I, I, I reckon the Browns are going wide receiver. I think the Jets will panic and take wide receiver and the Raiders will follow them so I think the Browns go for Judy the Jets will pull the trigger on Lamb uh, hard luck on him and the Raiders will take Henry Ruggs the third I think as soon as somebody goes and I think the Browns are almost certain to go wide receivers from what I can see I think the others will pull because and I'm wondering you know can I can ask this to Jamie I think part of it comes Jamie that people are then scared of being the ones that miss out yeah, my whole point uh, is not that this is rational. Yeah, it's that they have guys are, are are a positional need, and they're like, "Whoa, they'll probably fall to us." As soon as they see the first one go, they panic. They're on the clock. It it, it probably feels like a lifetime to us watching the, watching it on the screen, but to them, those seconds must tick by so quickly. They will panic, and other teams will panic as well, and they will start they will start trying to move. That is going to be one of the most fascinating sections of the whole draft because there's a lot of similar positional need from, yeah, 10 to 15 at least and probably even maybe 17 to 19. So I think as well, though, if we look, and I'm going to add another layer to this now because obviously we're talking about the fact that one goes, people panic and they pick things up. But if you look at some of the players that go later in the draft, some of the guys who haven't been those players that have been highly anticipated to go early in the draft, you look at the success mm-hmm. that some of the teams have got. So let's go back to last year. So we've cut, tucked on Marquise Brown and Keel Harry, right? Fine. Taken in the second round, Debo Samuel. Taken in the second round, AJ Brown. Um, a couple of other guys that haven't really done much. Taken in the second round, DK Metcalf. Taken in the third round, Terry McLaurin. Um taken in the fourth round was Riley, uh, Riley Ridley he had a, not much of a start to be honest but he's got a good surname um, and then Darius Slayton obviously had a good year if we go back to last year taken in the second round Cortland Sutton um, taken in the second round Christian Kirk taken in the second round uh, in the third round sorry is Michael Gallup um, 
looking beyond that, there's not massively any particular name that's sticking out. You go the year bef- after that. So the year that Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross went 5, 7, and 9, you then got Juju Smith-Schuster in the second round, Cooper Cup in the third round, Kenny Galladay in the third round, uh, Didi Westbrook, who's done all right at the Jags, in the fourth round. Um, you know, there's there's almost a trend where the guys that are going number one overall are not doing particularly great. But the guys taken deeper into the draft are the guys who are then coming through and showing that they can transition into the NFL much better than being that guy who gets all the targets at college. And it's a fascinating transition piece to, to try and watch this. And I wonder how much of that comes into play with the, the teams when they're picking their players to, to look beyond what can be done. You know, again, let's go back to that 2016 one. This is probably the most stick out one of the lot. You know, Corey Coleman went 15, Will Fuller went 21st, Josh Doxson 22nd, Laquan Treadwell 23. There's your run, 21, 22, 23. And number 40, Sterling Shepard. At 47, Michael Thomas. You know, you come down beyond that. Tyler Boyd at 55 has had a pretty decent career. Come way down, 165th, Tyreek Hill. Uh, and you see names like that of players that have just managed to come through because they've not necessarily got that high quality number career coming out of the college and actually it's interesting then when you start to look at it to see who are the players underneath it that are maybe being slightly overlooked that can come in and give that big impact so i think there's a there's a definitely there's a trend here about teams going far too early on wide receivers on a sudden yeah, rush there will then, always be value in the lower in the lower rounds these guys are chosen there because they sit because um the scouts or the, the GMs have had a look at it and they've gone, right, no one's going to make a move on these guys until later on. We'll, we'll make sure that we're the ones that make the first move. But is there, a, right? is there another position where we see such a trend for the guys going early being not as successful as a number of the guys going later? And I wonder whether it's just a, a panic position, whether it's it, they're looking at numbers on the field rather than necessarily fitting into their particular schemes and I just I for me when I was sitting looking at it earlier on I was like that's I just thought it was very interesting so I thought I'd share it's a it's a glamour position and it's it's a high pressure position a bit like quarterback but in a different way because if you're a, if you're a young quarterback and you're plugged in as a starter um, and picked in the first round and you're the franchise quarterback of the future people are going to expect you to make mistakes but if you're a receiver and you get landed in in the first round and you're you're a high prospect and especially if you join a, a team that's got a, an established um quarterback then i think that i think there's less i don't think there's i, I think there's less wiggle room i think and kill harry is an interesting one because he was injured most of the season yeah. but when he when he came into the the patriots team late on in the year brady was going ballistic at him because he was making basic mistakes and he, this year will determine whether or not he's any good or not. But now he's in a situation that he's not playing with a legend. He could be playing with a complete dunce. Or he could be playing with a rookie quarterback. Nobody really knows. And the, the one in this draft that's interesting is the one below the, the, the big three. Justin Jefferson, he played at LSU with Burrow. And he was catching balls for fun. But he's been, you know, he's been projected to go later in the first round. Is he really very good? Nobody really knows because he's been playing at LSU in a scheme that worked for him and for Burrow. And actually, the team that picks him, they might be taking a risk because 
it could well be that he's actually shone in the system that he's been involved with and actually maybe the talent's not quite as big as it as it should be but you see it every year teams don't clearly learn do they <laughs> no, no, they don't. And there's there's two interesting things coming out of this for me. I mean, you mentioned the value that's that's to be found, Cameron, around three, four, and five. But some of them are what I would class as your red flag players that you're not going to waste a first or second round because they've got character issues. Uh, you could see that with Tyreek Hill. The uh, fact Michael that you're Thomas. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm you're joking, not. I'm sitting, joking. <laughs> come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> now, I don't know how many of you guys have actually. Uh, done interviews for jobs where basically you've got the power to hire someone but anybody can try and fool you in a job interview situation so all these guys have got their CV and their tapes and some general managers can simply fall in love with the person in the interview process but you know you can deceive you know there's these guys are trained to to try and get around the interview process they're groomed on how to deal with coaches and things like that we're not getting that this year so I'm wondering if we're going to see a true reflection on skill being picked but they're not going to be able to draw out the weaknesses of people ultimately you're going to have a situation whereby I think teams will maybe take less risks yeah this year and Ultimately, you've got to, as a franchise, build from a solid base. But at the same time, the, the franchise that takes the punt quite often is the one that is rewarded. So it's a very... I, I think they make too much of these interviews and these uh, wonderlick tests. I might, and we might be talking about that later on. Yeah, we but should. The, <laughs> I think there's, that's too much goes into that. You... you the, the, the kind of the stuff that goes on in the background of players' lives is all very well and good, but you, you you don't see that in any other sport really. You don't see that in professional football. Players not being signed because they might have issues off the pitch. Very rare, very it, rare. It is rare, Charles. But you know, one of the things that, that I was told nicely came a little bit later than I would have liked when I interviewed people is you're better not to hire someone than to take a risk because the chances are it is going to come back and bite you in the ass. I, I did this professionally a number of years ago. We needed people for particular jobs and I took a gamble on two people. One guy was okay and the second hire was the worst hire I have ever made and the person was a nightmare from day one. <laughs> Let's hope he's not <laughs> listening to the podcast, eh? <laughs> well, or, or she were, were an equal, you know, or, or she. Um, it was an absolute nightmare and I think that that comes to the point where I think if these guys, and it also depends on your general manager, if you've had experience before where you have gambled a little bit and it's not worked out, you are going to become even more conservative if there's any potential red flags or anything you just hear on that grapevine because not everything gets written down on a piece of paper. If you've heard something from a reliable source that puts somebody's character or work rate or effort in doubt, these people are going to drop in the draft. I had no idea that, that Paul drafted Johnny Manziel. Yeah, I do apologise. I'm not allowed back in Cleveland. I think it's another. It's 2024 before I'm allowed back in, but uh, hopefully they'll forgive me eventually. That sounds more like a reward than a punishment. Um... <laughs> oh, you're not getting back now, are you? No one's going. We might as well say what we want. They can't go even if I wanted to. Um, yeah, right, okay. So there's... 
a number of storylines that we've covered there around wide receivers, quarterbacks, uh, Chase Young. Um, obviously, the key question is, boys, are you going to be sitting up watching this at one mm. o'clock in the morning? I think I might be snoozing and I might record it and wake up the next morning I, as a young with a a young family who will be getting me up at the crack of dawn. I might just do that instead. I'm watching it. What the hell? I'll, I'll go to sleep probably about nine ten o'clock and get up at one o'clock and ready for it. I, I, uh, there's just been no live sport. I've got to watch something. It's either this or South Korean baseball, so I'm going with this just now. <laughs> I'm going to try and watch it at least at least to see the Giants pick, which almost certainly means that they'll be trading down, and I'll just be going to bed unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll obviously we've talked about this as well. We're doing a predictor pick uh, competition group on the NFL.com under the draft predictor. Uh, <laughs> don't predict a dick. That's something completely different. <laughs> predict- We're not checking your internet history. Jeez, uh, this has been a long week already. Uh, it's only Tuesday night when we're recording this as well. But anyway. Um, what we're doing there is we're asking people to come and show us what they're made of. Join up, uh, search for NFL Scotland podcast. Uh, it's an open group. Come and join us. There's quite a few people in there already. Come and show us what you're made of. It's a pick through one through 32, though, and you get points depending on how well you do. But gentlemen, I think we need to do a little bit of a spoiler alert. And I think that the four of us should go on record right now as giving our first six picks of the 2020 draft. Uh, I realise that I have just landed this on you right now. So I I'm can't willing... remember mine. <laughs> so I'll go first because I've got, I've that's, got my, that's my draft card And here. then I'll follow up second and that gives our um, uh, Jamie and Charles seconds to scramble their notes together. So Hang on, are we, are we allowed to predict trades? You are allowed to predict trades, absolutely. Well, that makes I'm... it harder. It does. I'm go- I'm going to give you the six that I've got because I'm presuming there's no trades. But I did float on the podcast yesterday that New England are going to come up and take Tua. So that that's my big speculation. If that doesn't happen, however, Joe Burrow just does go at one. Chase Young goes at two. Jeff Okuda goes at three. Tristan Wirfs goes at four for the Giants. Tua goes at five for Miami. I don't think they can ignore him. And Justin Herbert, who I think will be a really good player, but I think he's overrated. I think it's just because they, they want a quarterback in the building. will go number six to the beautifully uniformed uh, Chargers. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so... I will go prove, with... Prove me wrong, Cameron. Prove me wrong. So, I Burrow goes one overall. And I don't think there's... I, I'm going to go and say that nobody's going to contradict that either. I think that Chase Young goes number two. I think the Redskins take the best available player. I actually think someone comes up and takes Tua at three. So, I have him going early. Um, I think that the Giants take Wurfs. And they stick in their position because they need some protection for Mr. Jones. I think the Dolphins take Herbert. And then I think... It's an interesting one, this one. I've actually got um, Isaiah Simmons going sixth uh, and slipping down a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I've said that now, so I'm going to have to stick to that. <laughs> um, so I've got Burrow, Young, Tua, Wirfs, Herbert, Simmons... Uh, I can't be bothered going through like trade permutations because it's just going to pickle my head. Uh, Burrow goes one, Young goes two. I think Simmons goes three to the Lions. I think the Giants uh, will then take one of the tackles, probably worse. 
Dolphins, I think, will go with Herbert. And the Chargers are left with... Uh, who are they going to take? I think they'll take a lineman as well. So one of the remaining li- li- linemen, Wills, Worths, Beckton or Thomas. Okay. Well, I think there's going to be trades, but I'm not going to predict it here. And I've only just found what I predicted a week ago when you sent me the link. So I've probably <laughs> changed my mind since then. But... Uh, Burrow and Young are one and two. I think Detroit, I think actually Detroit are going to trade out a three, but if they stick a three, they will take the cornerback at CUDA. And I think New York will play, take the best player left um, in the Simmons at four. I don't know whether Jamie would be happy with that or not. Yeah, no, no. I think Simmons would be the best player left in that uh, situation. And- and then Tua is going to go at the Dolphins at five, but I don't think they should be taking Tua. I think they should be taking Herbert. And I think uh, that the Chargers would go then with Herbert at six because all the Tyrod Taylor is our quarterback is just a smokescreen. But that's complete rubbish because there's going to be teams that trade into the top five. Um, I'm convinced of it. And also, this yeah. is again, this is Tuesday night. I reserve the right to change my picks in the run up to the actual draft, but that's where I'm going at the moment. <laughs> So can I tell you, our predictor pick, which is on the NFL.com official site, the NFL Scotland podcast has got the 14th most people in it out of the whole NFL.com. Excellent. That's exactly what we wanted out of this. How many people have we got? We have got 33. If we could get up above 46, we could get into the top 10 in the world. There's a BAMS league, which is an open league. That's got 486. <laughs> um which I don't, I'm not sure we're going to catch that. There's a few private ones, but as, as far as public ones are concerned, we're doing pretty damn well, and we could get up, if we could get above me and friends on 46, then I think we'd be in a very good place. Does anyone have anything else on the draft that you want to talk about before we move on to some of the news items? Well, I mentioned the uh, Wonderlick. I think oh, we yes. need to tell the world what happened, because I rather... Uh, foolishly sent you the the, the link to the this year's Wonder League test. I'm, sure, I'm not sure that it was this year's test. Anyway, obviously many of our listeners will know what this is, but for those who don't, it is the um, the test that all the uh, prospective draftees take, which the actual merit of of it is debated greatly. But essentially, it's fifty fifty questions in twelve minutes. And it's a case of how smart are you and how quickly can you do this test without, in my case, a child distracting you. So <laughs> that was a problem. So uh, I thought it would be a good idea for us all to take the test, seeing as we're all very uh, prospective NFL quarterback slash punters. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I challenged you all and it backfired big time because I I got the lowest score, I think. <laughs> Now, for context, Tua scored initially. It was thirteen, but that's been upgraded to nineteen. Um, yes, but Which, he's sub twenty. The average score is twenty. So the average score is twenty. Okay. Um, over the years, this has been done for years and years. The average score of the Wonderlic test is twenty, and some of the greatest names in the NFL have done uh, some great things on it. Um, some of some of the greatest names in NFL history have done some pretty bad things on this. Uh, Jim Kelly apparently got fifteen. He was a great quarterback. Donovan McNabb got 13. Lamar Jackson got 13. And Atua apparently got 13, but it's apparently been upgraded to 19. So 
there's a bit of a kind of grey area in there. Um, and there's only been one perfect 50 score ever. So we were never going to get perfect scores. But um, I got, for, for the record, I got 36 whilst being distracted. So I might have got a better score. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good score. Can I say, just so people understand what this is, so, for example, one of the one of the questions, which, which was roughly like this, was which one's the odd one out? One June, two July, three August, four Tuesday, five February. Now, the way my mind works is I'm looking for the trick there. That's far too obvious. <laughs> I'm trying to work out, is it the number of letters in the answer? And then I'm thinking, no, it can't be. It, it's, it's just that so the starter questions are almost far too easy and they obviously get a lot more difficult towards the end but I mean I, I mean there was one that I think listed four meats and a fish and asked you to pick the odd one out I'm going what kind of person can't get this right there's also quite a few American proverbs in there which is quite confusing for some things including uh, which is the uh, which of the odd one out you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar a fly follows the honey sweet appears sour when we pay the squeaky wheel gets the grease and too swift arrives as tardy as too slow. And I'm looking at this thinking, okay, I don't actually know what this, I don't know what the second one means, but I'm sure it's not irrelevant. And so there's not that was yeah, no, I probably spent more time trying to figure out what they meant. Yeah. Uh, just went, oh, I'll just write a letter. So I feel a bit sorry for Tua, a little bit. I think maybe Tua got bored after question 13. Perhaps that was the problem. But well, I think you've got to move past the ones that you don't know and do the others. It's the old exam trick, isn't it? I mean, you've yeah. got to do as many as you can. I mean, there was two that were sort of horribly mathematical with, with you know, cut these bits in to make a triangle. I mean, I couldn't do that in maths. I'm certainly not going to do it in the Wonderlick. Um, and that allowed me to move on and score some of the others that were easy. But even just trying to answer all 50 questions in the 12 minutes actually would have been quite tough because yeah. the last ones do make you work. Yes, and that's yeah, I definitely time. ran out of time, um, and I rushed a few of them towards the end. Um, the very, very last one in particular, I just put something down because I was like, I've got not a clue, um, and I still don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> After I went away and yeah. thought about it, I was like, no, nah, still don't know what that is. So um, Apparently, the, the record lowest score ever by an, a prospective NFL player is 4 out of 50. Oh, <laughs> jeez. By Mor Morris Claiborne. Sorry to out you, Morris, but... There we go. Frank Gore got a six. Apparently. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm well, sure I remember Frank Gore had a particularly low score on that one. I remember that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean anything when it comes to physical talent, as I'm sure this score is about to prove. Um, so you scored 36. 36, yeah. And then where do we go from there? I think I scored uh, 40. Uh, but I think I spent too long trying to figure out June, July, August, Tuesday, and February. Needed to needed to get a little bit quicker. I was just determined. I would just presumed that there was a trick. I had to move past that. My brain wouldn't. My brain's suspicious. It looks for things that aren't there. And then was it you and me, Jamie, on forty-one? Yeah, forty-one. And I think that's the score I got. Charles, you scored my sheet. I did. I scored your sheet. I was. I had my red pen out and everything. I felt like a, a proper head head teacher. And, I, and I'm looking forward to uh, Gordon and Ian both taking the test at some point in the future and watching as they blaze past us towards fifty. 
Um, well, this is it. I think between that, 36-40 and 241s, I think we can officially call ourselves a highbrow NFL podcast going forward. Um, I think that's an intellectual level that you won't get on your average NFL podcast, and I'm proud of that. I think that's a Just a, a shame none of us can play football to save ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As if we needed further proof that the Wonderlick matters not a jot when it comes to playing in the NFL. <laughs> Um, but it was a lot of fun doing it. Do you know what? If you get the chance to do it, have a look online. We'll try and share it, actually, uh, so that people can yeah. give it a go. You have to time yourself. You have to make sure you stick to those 12 minutes. Um, the scores are available. Uh, the answers, sorry, are available somewhere as well. So um, if you need them, give us a shout. We'll share those out. Um, news items then. There's a few things going on. Lamar Jackson is going to be the next cover man of NFL Madden. Now, Patrick Mahomes broke the curse. Do you think Madden's going for uh, two quarterback Super Bowl champions in a, in a row? No, if I'm Baltimore, I'm drafting a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is the new LA Chargers uniforms were released today. Um, you like them, don't you? I Ooh. am a massive fan, I'll be honest. I think they... I, I'm going to go out... I'm going to go in bold with this... Best uniforms in the NFL. I think they're mm, the that's bungee. best. They're, they're, I don't see why they need six different uniforms. I think it's all about. Uh, I always despair at, at, at teams who release three new kits a season, and this is a six kit. <laughs> it's 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 all a bit um, excessive, but they are very. They're very they're very sweet. They're very very sweet. I like the fact that they've got the numbers on the helmets. I think that's quite cool. Is this becoming a thing where they're going to change uniforms much, much more regularly? So no, you're, you're not allowed. You've still become got become a bit soccerified. No, I think it's still a five-year. So you've got to get it right when you do change. I think the the old navy, I suspect, might be the color rush one. I'm not sure, uh, but I mean the powder blue is beautiful. The white reverse. I think the powder blue with the mustard or yellow pants looks great. I think the all white looks great, and the sort of medium blue, I think, to me, is the pick of the bunch. Oh, really? See, I think that's the one that I'm. I think that one. Um, yeah, it just didn't look like the Chargers. Um, I think that the. The obviously it's four tops, six permutations. I think coming back to the point in the soccerification of this, I think because they are still stuck to their five year, this is why there's four different tops because they only get to release new ones every couple of years. So they're trying to maximise the the money return for this as, as much as possible. Yeah. But I thought I thought the navy blue looked unique. I thought the outline off the lightning bolt was really smart, really clean on that. I think that the powder blue with the yellow trousers is the winner for me. I think that's a brilliant look it's unique to the nfl it's magnificent i i really like them i think they're really simple tops really bold striking contrasting colors big big fan of those i feel like i, I mean i joked about it, it looked like they were morphing into the rams but you would just think when they're going to share a city now one of the two teams would try to look a little bit different to the other Yes, I think I think with the powder blue and the yellow, I think they they do look suitably different. I think the helmet's great. I mean, the I mean they've out they've outdone the Rams who've got the Donald Trump hair logo. So I'm not even sure that logo's <laughs> going to last. Um, once people realise how bad the logo is, I just think the Chargers have done a really good job. I think we talked about the Patriots ones last night. I think the shoulders don't look particularly Patriots like. I think the Browns have got it right. I think Atlanta and Tampa. Are, are fairly meh to be perfectly honest but I think the Chargers have knocked it out of the park they look like the Chargers simple as best 
Is it? Yeah. The Browns. Yeah. The Browns uniforms are gorgeous, and the uh, I, I don't like the yellow trousers. Actually, I, I prefer the. Uh, I prefer the white, the white pants with the yellow bow. The kind of that, that's 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 the one for me. But they they are simple and they're effective and they are they're pretty sweet. Here's a breaking tweet uh, that I've just been checking to make sure it's valid before I read it out. Adam Schefter of ESPN has tweeted to say that Lions general manager Bob Quinn has said that Detroit's director of IT, Steve Lancaster, will be stationed in a Winnebago in his driveway for all hours of the three-day NFL draft in case there are any technical issues. Lancaster will go home each night, then return the RV for the draft's resumption. <laughs> I think that's pretty smart. I mean, you, you want to make sure that you, you leave nothing to chance. Now, the league have said that they are going to allow a little bit of wriggle room, but I think there's already, I don't know if you've seen it, guys, there's been a couple of great videos out of you know people taking the mickey about how this draft's going to go with things sticking and you know the Giants deciding to go I think the boy was going out for a toilet break or something and just stuck a note on his chair saying back in ten minutes so <laughs> yeah any anything can happen as far as uh, these things are going to go. I wonder whose driveway would be the most interesting to sit on if you had to sit in a Winnebago on the driveway of a general manager in the NFL who's which general manager would you... Anyway, that's Mike one for another Mayock. podcast. <laughs> Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock. Yeah. Mike Mayock. Lu- Mickey Lewis. John Gruden and Mike Mayock, because they're just going <laughs> to lob grenades. They've got two first-round picks, <laughs> and it's John Gruden. It's got to be him. Is Mike McCarthy going to Mike- be having a sleepover at um, Jerry Jones's again? That's what I want to know. <laughs> as long as they stay socially distant, I think that's what, that's the best we can hope for. <laughs> The one other bit of news that's breaking tonight is Pro Football Talk are confirming that former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck is suing XFL owner Vince McMahon. Unlikely to be settled in the court. Rather, this will be settled in the ring at WrestleMania 37 next year, I reckon. Um, oh. Yeah, but true story. Apparently, Oliver Luck is suing Vince McMahon. I don't think he'll be the only one. If stories are to be believed, that a load of the coaches offset the money, didn't get it up front, and are now much out of pocket. Obviously, the first of the sporting leagues to suffer uh, and completely go bankrupt under the the COVID nineteen situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, unfortunately, it's gone, um, and it's going it's, it's going to have gone with all the scandal that the first one went with. But. Uh, but- well, you say it's gone, Cameron. Apparently, Dundee's vote hasn't been received yet. Um, oh, so dear. it could still happen. <laughs> this is going to be a theme, this joke, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about this in June, by the way. Yeah, oh, we will be. We will be. Yes, we will. We will. Right, okay. Um, anything else then before we wrap up for episode 98? <laughs> I've lost Ooh, count. Get, get, getting close to the uh, century here. Very exciting. Well, this is it. Um, we This will be our last one ahead of the draft. We'll then do one after the draft, and then it will be episode 100. So we're uh, open to suggestions for this one. We're working on what we do for that, do something a little bit nice, a little bit different. So if anyone that listens out there has any ideas, do get in touch with us and let us know. We'd love to hear what you would like to hear. Ultimately, that's what we do it for. So that would be great. But no, I think that's probably then the full-time whistle for episode 98. Thank you for taking the time again to listen. Please continue to share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. 
We're growing all the time, but need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and share and love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. Do stay in touch. We're going to be settling in for a few days then to watch the draft fully unfold. Then we'll be back with you next week to pick apart the highs, the lows, the trades and the woes of all the outcomes. Thank you to Charles and Jamie for their views throughout this podcast and for their thoughts. It's been great to have you along, guys. Thank you for listening, taking the time to share your thoughts. Enjoy the draft. We're going to have fun. We'll be back next week. But until then, bye for now.